Hello, America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money and your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock, and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP, are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor based in San Diego with one goal in mind, to provide thoughtful, generational, and tax-efficient investment advice while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasters, speculators, and their conjecture. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Along with engineer Griff in the booth, let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where are we going today? Uh, thank you for the uh, sweet intro as always, Mark. I think we have to record more podcasts just, to, just so I can hear that intro more often. You got it, buddy. Uh, thanks, Mark. Today's topic is estate planning, which touches on all the fun stuff in life, death, taxes, legal documents. Uh, it's really no surprise that estate planning is a topic a lot of people delay and, and put off as long as they can. Uh, so, so really our goal today is to stress the importance of an estate plan uh, and why, with a little bit of work, um, the, uh, it, 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 you can acquire a lot of peace of mind. So we're going to start before we introduce our guest today, which I'm very excited to have on with us. Hi, Emily. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You got it. Uh, before we uh, before we get to hear uh, Emily's brilliance and and sh uh, she's got a lot of great information for you today, uh, we're going to start with the story of Tony Say, uh, the billionaire founder of Zappos, who uh, died in 2020 at the age of 46. My wife is in retail e-commerce, uh, and one of the few CEOs uh, founders in the retail space that she always said uh, really great things about was Tony. Uh, it, it was really sad to read of his untimely death, and we won't get into all the details on the podcast, uh, but to, to make his, um, his way too early death even more sad is that he did not have an estate plan. So his brother and father are currently petitioning the courts in Nevada. Uh, Zappos was based in Las Vegas. Um, they're petitioning the court to get access to his safe deposit boxes to try to locate uh, a, a, any kind of information about where his assets are and see if he had any kind of will. Uh, Tony moved later in his life to Utah, so his family members are gonna have to go through the courts of at least Utah and Nevada um, to, uh, uh, to sort out his estate plan. Um, he had a, about a billion dollars worth of assets, and uh, if he would have worked with an estate planner, like our guest today, uh, I instead, of, uh, instead of spending uh, hours, days, weeks, months, and, and probably years in court, uh, his family could be grieving, uh, they could be celebrating his life, and they could be facilitating uh, donations to all of the wonderful philanthropy Tony did in his life. So after Tony died, his family put out a press release that said, the Save family hopes to carry on Tony's legacy by spreading the tenets he lived by finding joy through meaningful life experience, inspiring and helping others, and most of all, delivering happiness. 
Tony touched a lot of folks with his accomplishments. Maybe his death can inspire other people and hopefully our listeners today to get started on something that keeps dropping down their to-do list, which again is the topic of today's podcast, estate planning. Emily, who are you? What is an estate plan? And what qualifies you to speak about them today? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, as uh, Stephen and Mark said, my name is Emily Porter and I'm an estate planning attorney. I uh, started estate planning right out of law school in 2010 when I graduated from USC. And I immediately began my career working for McDermott, Will & Emery, which is an international law firm. It has one of the largest estate planning practices catering towards the ultra wealthy. I decided after starting to have kids in uh, 2013 to open up my own practice and became one of the very early work from home um, people, early adopter, uh, before it was it was the cool thing to do. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've been focusing my practice really on the average folk, uh, people, and, and I, what I really mean by that is people with $11 million or less. Um, the, that $11 million or, or $23 million for married couples approximately uh, is the estate tax exemption level in uh, the U.S. right now, which I'll get into later, but that's kind of an important um, level that kind of distinguishes different types of estate planning. So in any event, in my own practice, I've worked with um, several hundred uh, clients, families, and individuals since then, and seen a lot of different things. So Emily, you, you were Zooming uh, or before Zooming even existed, right? You were, you were, you were really a trailblazer. Uh, well, you know what? It's so funny because I should have been Zooming the whole time, but I really uh, was doing meetings either over the phone or in person. But I find that clients have really liked the fact that now all these things are done by Zoom. I should have been doing it earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely accepted. That's great. That's great. So let me ask you, so why, tell us why is an estate plan necessary? I mean, does an early yeah. retiree in his 40s, you know, no children, but, he, you know, he's got, you know, substantial net worth, uh, you know, maybe including a couple of properties. Does he need a plan or a married couple? Maybe they just bought their first home, but no kids. Do they need a plan? You know, tell us about that. Yeah, I think, I think you kind of touched on a couple different things. Often when people hear the term estate planning, I think they kind of assume that estate planning is relevant for either the elderly or people who have kids. Um, but in, in fact, there are a lot of different estate planning tools that are, that are associated with, that are, can be very important um, and broadly applicable to really all, all adults. Um, it, you know, a, a typical estate plan can include, uh, like I said before, uh, guardianship, but it can also include powers of attorney, which can help you make uh, financial or healthcare decisions, appoint someone to help you make financial or healthcare decisions if you lose capacity. A lot of people, um, you know, certainly associate a will with estate planning, but there's also something that tends to be appropriate in California, which is called a revocable trust. So there are a lot of different components to an estate plan um, that make doing that work ahead of time, um, it, you know, relevant for a lot of people. On, on um, that point, uh, sorry, Emily, uh, on, on. on that point and, and connecting to Tony's example, who had a lot of assets uh, in multiple states, but no kids. If, if he had a proper estate plan, uh, I instead, of, um, I instead of the huge chunk the state's going to get in the years in court and stress, um, how much of the probate process could Tony have avoided? 
Well, actually, you can avoid probate completely with an appropriate estate plan. Um, a lot of people have heard the term probate. Just in a nutshell, to kind of give people background, probate really mean, in, in a nutshell, is kind of the process by which courts update ownership of your assets from your name to whoever your beneficiaries are. Um, if you don't have a, pla a, a plan in place, your beneficiaries are your heirs at law, which really is defined by the state that you live in. Your heirs at law, in general, are your closest blood relatives. In California, we define that as first your descendants, otherwise your parents, and then siblings, nieces and nephews, etc. It's kind of a long waterfall. So in general, um, in California, the most efficient way to do your estate plan, to put together an estate plan, is to use a revocable trust, which helps you avoid that probate process and direct where your assets are going. Um, it could be your heirs at law, but it might be somewhere where different. And if I were going to make a simple cost-benefit analysis, right, um, so the cost for Tony's family is years in court, uncertain outcome, huge fees, and um, the, 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 the benefit of, if, if he would have done an estate plan, um, uh, uh, how, mu how much time and money do you think his yeah. family could have saved, right? I mean, a lot. I mean, there have been other celebrities who've passed away in the recent years. I mean, I think Prince, even exactly Franklin. Mike, Michael Jackson and literally some of these are still going on decades after the individual passed away. Uh, in general, probate is in mo in California, probate is very inefficient and expensive. In other states, it can be less inefficient and less expensive. But in California, where I'm licensed to practice law, uh, it's the, the probate fees are based on a sliding scale, which start out at 4% of the first $100,000. It's 3% of the next $100,000, and it kind of goes down from there. But as a kind of um, a general rule, uh, an estate, uh, to probate an estate, it can often cost at least twenty-five dollars to $35,000 per million in an estate. So obviously, the, high, you know, the, the larger the estate, the more expensive it becomes. If you compare that to doing just a typical estate plan, it might be a couple of thousand dollars, you know, a few thousand dollars, you know, maybe three to five thousand to set up. And then on the back end, during the administration, there certainly will be costs, but and it depends on how clean the plan is. But uh, with my clients, when they've fully funded their trust, something we'll get into in a minute, um, you know, it's we're talking ten thousand or less as and, opposed and to. Big difference, and, and, it, and, it, and it's not just the money, right? It's the time involved, it's right? Time I mean, it, I mean, so the heirs or whoever they may be, I mean, they could wait potentially years, right, to Absolutely. get their hand to get to get the assets that are intended for them. Um, yeah, Absolutely. so it's 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 not just the money; it's it's time as well. All right, so let me ask you a question. Now we, we've jumped in the probate and 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 kind of what that entails, you know. But what if the person, what if, you know, this individual who has these, you know, assets he's worked hard for or he's inherited them or, you know, created something in, in, in his own right, um, what if he doesn't care enough about his heirs-in-law, you know, to put in the time and energy um, just to save the beneficiaries the, the, the time and the money? I mean, what, what's, what's the, the, the counterpoint to that? Yeah, that's actually, it's funny because I literally have a client in that situation right now and I just helped him sign, despite him not caring about whether or not his heirs at law will have to go through the probate process, I did sign documents with him earlier this week. Uh, 
really having the appropriate estate plan in place not only can be beneficial for your heirs at law uh, to avoid the appropriate process, but really, uh, more importantly, it can be beneficial to you yourself in the event that you lose capacity. So if you lose capacity, you can't make decisions on your own and you don't have any documents in place, uh, loved ones, either family or friends, would have to petition the courts to create a conservatorship over your finances and over your health in order to be able to make decisions for you. Again, conservatorship going through the courts uh, is going to be inefficient and more expensive than putting together that structure on the front end. And during that time, you know, the conservatorship process has some checks and balances that are appropriate in the event that you haven't created that structure. But if you can spend the time and energy to put the structure in place, you can avoid that and make sure that there's seamless care provided to you, um, you know, throughout your life as opposed to it being kind of chopped up. Well, Emily, that's, um, I'm just going to double click on that point real quick, uh, uh, Mark and Emily, because um, I know a few people in that exact circumstance, uh, individuals in their uh, 40s and 50s, uh, accumulated nice assets, not married, no children, but they love to travel the world, uh, go scuba diving, maybe fly in small planes in Costa Rica or around the world. Uh, I think the point you just made is uh, a profound one. Uh, because if, if you get any, any kind of accident or you're uh, uh, put up in a hospital or temporary unconscious, um, the, the, having those documents in place would sound like giving an incredible peace of mind to, to that profile, that type of person. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, people here think of health directives and they think of, you know, you think of somebody's grandmother, you know, who's unconscious and, you know, what do you do? But it's not. It applies to everybody at every stage in their life. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and we drive a lot in California. You could get in an accident, God forbid. There's a lot of Teslas on the road, so yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay, so no, so we've kind of touched on, we, we went into some kind of edge cases, taking a step back to probably one of the events in life that drives a lot of people to create their first estate plan. I, I know it did for my wife and I is having children. Um, can yeah. Can you, I, I know the guardianship of children is, is probably the first one that, that new parents think about, and we definitely have clients that are uh, new parents. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the guardianship of children component of estate planning? Absolutely. There's kind of two different components of the guardianship, the nomination of guardianship. Uh, it's number one, the guardian of the person, your child, the individual who's actually going to be raising your child in your absence. And then there's also the guardian of the estate of your child. Um, the guardian of the person, obviously, that's where your child's going to live. The guardian of the estate is really who's going to be making sure that your child's financial needs are met, distributions or, um, you know, distributions from a trust, if there's a trust in place for your child, are made so that, you know, they can have clothing. Um, they, they, you know, pay their share, their fair share of the utility bill. Uh, and rent or whatever in the in the house that they're living in. That said, uh, generally with minor children and also in a lot of different situations, it really makes sense to set up a revocable trust so that there are uh, trusts that hold assets for your children um, when, if you do pass away. And the trustee that will be appointed under the revocable trust is really going to be the person who manages the assets for your child, as opposed to the guardian of the estate is the individual who's kind of 
figuring out the daily budget for your child and then requesting those assets be distributed from the trust so that they can be used for the child's care. Yeah, that that's to me, you know, as a parent, that is such an important point and a big consideration um, that my wife and I, you know, when we decided to create our family trust, right? I mean, and we did it before our son was born. We were actually traveling overseas. Um, but, you know, we wanted to have everything in place because we knew as soon as, you know, when he arrived, you know, everything was going to be crazy. And that was probably the last thing we were going to be thinking about. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I like to tell people, best case scenario, your families get along really well. And certainly you'd expect your families to have your child's best interest in mind. But I can guarantee you that if you don't document what you think your child's best interest is, then in your absence, your families are not going to agree on the best interest of your child. So it is important to take that step. I know it's, it can often, often the guardianship is the document that holds my clients up the longest because it's so difficult to imagine anyone else raising your own child. And look, odds are it's not gonna be relevant, but it is important, you know, the last thing you want if you are not around to raise your child, the last thing you want is for your child's families to be feuding. You just want to document, this is what we want, this is what we think is best. Please just you know, help facilitate our wishes. Yeah, I think that, that's so important. And those are such you know, serious and important conversations to have with whoever you think you might want to be those guardians, right? I mean, and those are long extended, you know, thought out conversations and decisions to be made. Uh, not, not, not spur of the moment, that's for sure. And, and that's why you want to avoid that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right, maybe, you know, we've touched on a lot of good topics here. Can you highlight maybe any other components of an estate plan in California that, you know, we haven't really talked about you think might be important? Yeah. I mean, I kind of briefly talked about several different components. In general, uh, to, the best, the most efficient way to avoid probate in California is to have a revocable trust. Uh, I tell people to kind of think about, imagine themselves before they have an estate plan in place, they're walking around holding their assets in their hands. When they create a revocable trust, it's like putting together a bucket. Once you've got the bucket in place, you're going to place your assets inside the bucket and then pick the bucket up. Either you're picking up on your own if you're an individual or potentially for married couples, you're holding it, you're picking it up and holding it together. I like that imagery because I think people can really imagine that or they can really kind of feel that they're still holding on to their assets. They haven't given up their assets. They're just holding them in a slightly different manner. They're holding them in the bucket instead of in their hands. Uh, I think also it helps illustrate the fact that um, you can revoke the trust. So you can tip the bucket over and you can pick the assets back up in your hands and get rid of the bucket. Finally, uh, you know, at any point, if you need to make changes to your trust, you want to um, leave your assets to your kids in a different manner, or you want to um, take your brother out and add in a, a charitable organization. You can swap that. Let's just say you had a blue bucket to begin with. You can swap that out for a red bucket. And uh, you know that just is really trying to illustrate the fact that you can restate your trust at any time. Uh, the trust, if you have a trust, is really going to do the heavy lifting of disposing of your assets um, that you know, people often associate with being a, a, you know, what a will does. Um, a will that disposes of your assets is what we call a standalone will, uh, but when you have a revocable trust, you still have a will. It's just called a pour-over will, and it really is a safety net that's uh, trying to kind of clean up 
your estate in the event that you, you know, fail to fully fund your trust and get everything into the trust. So really, if you create a revocable trust, you're still going to have a will, but it's really more of a safety net. Um, the third document, uh, you know, other than the trust and the pour over will that I kind of tell people, you know, associate with controlling your financial life is the durable power of attorney, which just makes sure that your agent can uh, deal with any assets that inherently stay outside the trust. The general rule is every asset's gonna be in your trust, but there are always exceptions to the rule. So it just makes sure that everything can be coordinated. So that's kind of, those are the three documents that really um, control your financial life. In addition to those documents, the other main components of the estate plan are the advanced healthcare directive to nominate an agent to make healthcare decisions for you. And then of course, if you have minor children, the guardianship documents. What about, you know, I mean, look, right now there's a lot of talk uh, in DC, you know, the tax code and proposed changes and uh, changes to the estate, you know, tax, uh, you know, exemption. Um, how, how should everybody be dealing with that? Is it something that, you know, should be part of a conversation, you know, with you, with, um, with their CPA, with us, all three in conjunction together, how, what would you advise your clients on that? Yeah, I think in general, I think it's really important to kind of keep your ear to the ground and see what changes uh, are coming down the chute. But it's, I would not, in most situations, I wouldn't um, advise making any changes based on what might happen at this point. That said, um, right now, the exemption amount is $11.7 million. So I think for a lot of people, it feels very far off and um, maybe not something they have to worry about. In the latest proposals, Biden has not uh, suggested changing that. But one reason might be the fact that baked into the current um, legislation is a sunset to the $11.7 million exemption level back to approximately $5.5 million adjusted for inflation. So, um, you know, I think potentially one reason that hasn't been touched is because it's already going to happen on its own. I think one of the, the bigger kind of um, more, you know, potentially um, scary changes that could happen is uh, the loss of the step up and basis that individuals receive when they pass away currently. Uh, that could really have an effect on people's estates. Uh, where there's been a lot of gain during their life and not a realize and not not a lot of realized gain, and that really might affect um, if, if that occurs, it might affect how people um, decide to invest and and how the, you know what assets they intend to hold on to for a long time. So, I'm always open to discuss things with people, but it's hard to advise doing anything if you know if we don't know what's going to happen yet. Right, it's the old what if question. Go ahead, Steve. Those are yeah, th those are great points. And just to um, put in an interlude for our listeners, um, the the estate tax. Um, so first off, uh, for everyone, just to have the basics of the vocabulary, uh, the estate tax tax exemption refers to uh, how much you can leave in your estate to your heirs that is essentially um, not taxed. So the the tax exemption. Uh, currently sits at 11.7 million, um, so you're allowed to pass on to yours 11.7 million untaxed. After that, any money over and above that, uh, there's a separate estate tax uh, tax table with the top 
tax rate over a million of 40%. So the estate tax table functions kind of like the income tax table. And as uh, Emily mentioned with the sunsetting, um, uh, so the uh, a brief history of the uh, tax exemption levels. In 1997, the estate tax exemption was $600,000. In 2007, uh, it was $2 million. And uh, sorry, yeah, in 2007, it was $2 million. In 2017, it was $5.49 million. And that's the number Emily's talking about it sunsetting back to. So the estate tax exemption uh, amount is far from set in stone, and it's historically changed quite a bit. Um, and uh, personally, when I went through that history, um, there are a lot of uh, fancy types of estate planning uh, uh, that we didn't touch on the call today. And, and you listeners, uh, astute listeners will remember when Emily talked about working for regular folk defined as people with assets under the exemption. Um, there's a lot more regular folk who will start to rise above that exemption when it sunsets, and it would include even more if the number were changed lower still. Um, so where that line sits has a, a ton of impact, and it also moves you from the sort of estate planning 101 to starting to explore some of the more advanced techniques that um, Emily, as she mentioned in her intro, uh, certainly has experience with. But um, I know when I was studying for the CFP exam, the thought kept coming to me, you know, why, why are all there so many fancy trusts to save on taxes? It used to be a lot less important. It used to be a lot more important when the estate tax exemption was under a million or a million bucks than it currently is at 11.7 million. So anyway, the, the history of how that's changed and its implications is uh, uh, pretty interesting and impactful. Absolutely. I would say that a lot of times um, recently, I, if I'm helping someone restate their plan, I'm often making it more simple, but right. certainly once it sunsets um, at the beginning of 2026, uh, if, you know, if a change isn't made before then, it'll probably be the opposite direction. But right. you know, I always tell clients, let's create a plan that's appropriate today and hopefully will last you at least five years, certainly could last you 10. Uh, but 15, 20 years, there's so many different, you know, your life's going to look different. Your assets are going to look different. If you have children, their needs and who they are is going to be different. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard. It's better to just plan for this to, you know, something catastrophic to happen today. That's great right. advice. Right. Well, Emily, this has been, this has been great. Um, first of all, thank you for all this, this, this great information for joining us today. Um, if our listeners would like to reach you, what's the best way to find you? Yeah, absolutely. My, I have a website that's just porterestateplanning.com, and all of my contact information is on there, uh, whether you prefer email, call, whatever. Great, great. Um, and they can always reach out to us, and we'd be happy to uh, connect them with you as well. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been our pleasure. Thank you. Um, Remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice, and please consult with your own financial advisor whenever considering any investment. Um, if you have questions and you're one of our clients, please email us with the term podcast in the subject line. For more information about this podcast, the hosts, our guests, uh, and our firm, please visit us at www.mk-am.com 
or feel free to email us at info at mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us and look for our next podcast release in the very near future. Thank you.